0: Thanks for joining us for today's message We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life Then let us know by sending us an email to timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at TimberlakeChurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Well, we want to welcome all of you that are here and also with the Duval and the Issaquah and the Castle Rock campus and those of you that are online as well. Uh, we grateful that you're here tonight. Actually, you're supposed to say that to me. Uh, we're grateful that you're here tonight, but... Uh, you know, because I'm kind of the guest and a lot of you are the regulars here. Um, by the way, I just wanted to say thank you. I've actually been involved in some way or I've spoken at uh, Timberlake for a lot of years. Uh, back when it was, the church was first formed back in the late 80s, early 90s, whenever it was. I remember uh, meeting with a small group of people. So it's great to see the good things that the Lord is doing uh, in this campus. And, and uh, it's a delight to see some old friends. And when I say old friends, I mean old friends so there are some of those in the midst as well uh pastor ben is a is a very good friend of mine do you know you have a very good pastor did you know that yeah it's okay he's not here you can say yes all right you don't have to feel embarrassed my wife marlene and i uh we travel around the world we're in a lot of different places about 15 or 20 countries every year uh, we work we've done ministry both domestically here as well as internationally and uh, it's a delight to be here because we actually live in Washington State. So that's a, that's a, that's a plus. We're relatively close to home. Um, I want to talk to you. Uh, we're talking about My Big Mouth is this series that uh, Pastor Ben mentioned to me. I do want to talk about mouth. I want to talk about the whole of life. And then we'll kind of get to the mouth component here in a bit. But I do want to say something to you about the fact that the size of things really matters. Now, you know, get your head out of the gutter. When I say size matters, it's not necessarily what you think. Uh, I, I want to talk to you about uh, the fact that there, the big small, that, that the small things in, the, in this world that we have a tendency to dismiss God sees as of supreme importance and value. In fact, I would even challenge anyone that's been a student of the Word, of the Bible, you've read very much, um, if you really unpack and read the Scriptures, you'll see a pattern throughout the Bible. It doesn't matter if you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament. And that is, anything that's big uh, really doesn't amount to hardly anything when it's initiated by people. So the big contribution people in the Bible... Are people like Pharaoh had a lot to do, had a lot to give, didn't really amount to much. In fact, uh, almost everything he did was bad. Are are you with me? Okay, Uh, Satan is a big presence. He's not a good guy. I think we've kind of got that uh, down. And then you have Nebuchadnezzar, who was a king in the Old Testament. Several people that were of great wealth. Um, None of them really amount to anything. They're not applauded. They're not lauded in any way. Uh, by the lord or the prophets or the apostles or jesus himself well by the time we get in the new testament we start seeing jesus really drilling down on this pattern that we see and that is the fact that small things seem to draw attention the attention of the lord we're going to talk a little bit about that for a few moments here this evening we don't know why it is initially when you start looking at it but when you start noticing it it's the it's the uh, it's the widow and the orphan that get a lot of the attention, and those would be classified in our culture or in most places around the world as uh, the disenfranchised, disen, disenfranchised folks, the people who are on the margins. They don't really amount to much, but apparently they amount to a lot to the Lord. And when we hear about faith, the one story that God, you know, that Jesus can mention about how the kind of faith you could have that would have the capacity to uproot a tree and cast it in the, in the sea or to take a mountain and move it from one place to another, he says, is as big as a mustard seed. He said a faith that he draws attention to is as big as a mustard seed. And a demonstration of that is there was a guy who was a Roman soldier at one point in time, and the Roman soldier uh, said... You know, uh, he asked Jesus to heal, sent some people from a distance, uh, some servants to go and uh, meet Jesus along the road and, and told him, you know, I'd like to have my servant healed. And and such a a small little thing, he said, you don't even have to come in my presence, you can just say a word. I'm a person of authority, I have a lot of soldiers under my command, and I just say a word, and they respond, could you just say a word? So he didn't even need the big presence of Jesus, and Jesus turns around and applauds applauds this man's faith, and he says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. It was a small act. He talked about faith as big as a mustard seed. And we, and that's the pattern that we go all the way through the scriptures. There's a story of... Uh when Jesus is going to talk about how to give. And he draws attention. He's watching all these people bring their big gifts and put them in an offering basket, so to speak. There's a big, uh, it looks almost like a horn, a trumpet horn, that they would put offerings in it. would go down to a box. That's the way no one would steal it. And, but you could see visibly what people would put in. And there were people of great wealth that went and put a lot of money there. And he didn't draw attention to any of them. Instead, he decided to select... A widow, an older woman, who put in two small coins that all she had to live in. They were the, they were just like pennies, and she put them in. And Jesus chose her to be the one that he would talk about stewardship. And so the pattern goes. In fact, there's a there's a place, a, an episode it appears in all four of the New Testament Gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the only story. Uh, of activity that in, is including the birth narrative that where Jesus is engaged with uh, with people and it's recorded in all four of these different uh, books of the Bible, and in that story, it's a story about five thousand people that were gathered together and they didn't have anything to eat and Jesus asked his disciples to give them something to eat. They said we don't have anything, and so one of the disciples said, well, there, here's a boy who has a lunch. He's got five loaves and two fish of bread. And they, they would have been relatively small fish, and they would have been very small uh, loaves of bread, more, more like what we would see as a roll. And Jesus took that little bit, that little quantity again, and he fed 5,000 people with that, uh, praying over it and then, and then breaking the bread and, and sending it on. I guarantee you that if that little boy would have had an uncle that worked with Marriott Catering Services and they would have backed up a semi-truck and fed 5,000 people with that, that that story would not be in the Bible. It's always the small. So Jesus then sets about uh, giving reasons why it's that way, and I want to unpack that with you for a little bit. Why is the small more important than actually the big when we look in the pages of the scripture and that works with your words as well the most impactful words that people have said to you were relatively insignificant to them it was a kindness at the right moment it was an encouraging word it probably wasn't there was probably not profundity there It wasn't uh, someone waxing eloquent with a bunch of words it was as simple and it was a small because the pattern works in both of our, our actions as well as the deliverance of the words that we share and I know that from my own life because when people will come to me frequently and they'll say, you know, the biggest thing you did that impacted me, and they'll mention something that usually I can't remember, or it was so small of an action that it didn't seem very significant to me at the time, but it was big to them and they remembered it. So what I want to do is I want to walk through, um, it's terrible to get an itch right where the mic is, but, uh, but that's, that's my dilemma. Um, So what I'd like to do is I'd like to say, why is it that way? Jesus starts out uh, all the way through the scriptures. He says these what we call reversal statements. So there's an inverse probability of something grand being diminished and something small being uh, elevated by Jesus. Let me give you an example. For those of you that are familiar with the Bible, you'll see where he says, if you want to be great, you'll be what? The least of all these. If you want to be found, you'll be lost. If you want to be... If you're going to be lost, you'll be found. If you want to be um, first, where do you end up last? And who ends up first? It's the people who are the last. And so Jesus inverts these, and he takes the small or the insignificant or that which is not, and he turns it into something great, and then he takes the great, and he says it really isn't all that much. So why do we see this pattern all the way through the pages of Scripture? I'm going to go over, and I think you have in your notes there, some of the scripture verses aren't necessarily uh, uh, right. We're going to correct a couple of them that are, that are on the piece of paper there. Uh, we'll do that in time. But let me, let's talk about this big, small. I just wanted to ask you, why does God pay more attention to the small than to the big? That should be on the screen up here, I think. Uh, why does he pay that much attention to the small more than the big? Jesus does it. God does it. The prophets do it. They always take that which is diminished, which people have a tendency to diminish, and he makes it into something great. We're going to walk through and tell you why. The first reason is because the small faithfulness qualifies us for bigger opportunity. Um, We see that in the Scripture. Jesus himself uses a couple of lines that kind of describe that. One, when he's talking about somebody who has done some things that were... may be questionable. So he's talking about the the stewardship of what the person did with with what he had. And he said this, at at the end of this story that Jesus is telling, it's a parable. It's not even a real activity that's going on. But he says, whoever can be trusted with little uh, can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So what he's saying at this point in time is he's saying, this an act of small faithfulness is what qualifies us for greater. What does he say? If you can be trusted with a little bit, you can be trusted with much. And the implication is more will be given to the person who's trustworthy. That's the next verse that I would draw attention to is chapter 19, verse 17, where he says to uh, people who had been faithful at doing things with something small that had been entrusted to some servants. And he said, well done, good servant, His master replied, because you have been trustworthy with a very small matter, I'm going to have you take charge of 10 cities. You took a little bit of money. You were faithful with this little bit of money. I know you're trustworthy. I can give it. I can give more to you. The reason why God is looking at the small is because it qualifies us for something greater, for bigger opportunity to be entrusted to us. We know that, don't we? I mean, we know that as a basic principle. When my children were small, uh, I was trying to teach them how to handle money, their resources. And so I did what every good parent does. You know, when Luke was finally about five years old, I thought, I'm going to give him some money and see what he does with it. So I gave him $5,000, and I said, knock yourself out, son. <laughs> no, I didn't, did I? No. first off, when our son, oldest son was five years old, I didn't have $5,000. But uh, what, do you, what do you do with a small child? You give them a dollar, right? And then what, you see what they do with it and uh, you start increasing their allowance. You increase the amount because you're not gonna give them uh, something that they're gonna, they're gonna blow. They're not gonna have the, the maturity or the knowledge or the understanding or the priorities all in place to be able to manage those kinds of things. So you start small and you work big. We do the same thing with our children that God does with us. He wants to see what we do with the smaller things. What are the smaller things that we have? Well, time. We all have the same amount of time and we can blow it, we can do well with it. And when we're trustworthy with a little bit of time, it seems like the Lord stretches that. The same thing with resources, the same thing with uh, our health when we're, when we're trustworthy with the way that we handle and manage things in that way. It works that way through and through our lives in every way. There's never a time when the small, in a sense, doesn't qualify because you are able to build off of that uh, small activity. You you could take whatever small thing that you have and put it in the hands of the Lord because the Lord sees it and he'll use it. You know, it never ceases to amaze me. I, we travel all over the world. Marlene and I have been to probably close to 100 countries uh, and all the continents around the world. Actually, not, uh, not Antarctica. Never been there, sorry, but... Uh, but uh, the other six continents, we've, uh, we've, we've been in many places. We've lived in three different countries, and uh, we've been in, in many places. And we see the same principle working in other places as well. It's not always the wealthiest people or the wealthiest countries that do the most significant work um, of justice delivery, of significant spiritual growth and development, of faithful life and activity. In fact... Oftentimes, the reverse is the case. When a person is entrusted with something small and they do something good, just like that uh, verse says in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, the person who could be trusted, trustworthy with little will be entrusted with much. That's just the principle of uh, stewardship that we have. So the small really matters to God because it is a qualifier. There's a second uh, thing that I would probably bring out here. And that is that small consistencies uh, lead to life-changing patterns. So you can't you. Let's just say let's use the issue of wealth or something grand that you receive. How many times do you receive uh, great sums of money? How many times in your life do you receive a significant opportunity to uh, wine and dine with kings or princes or people? We've had those opportunities. We've had some significant opportunities to be with great people throughout the world, and it's been a it's been a true a joy and. Uh, delight of ours to be given those kind of privileges. But in this, in the scriptural context, what God is looking more for are patterns of consistent faith life. So there's a, there's a verse, uh, some verses that are, uh, when Jesus is talking about dividing sheep and goats and one from another, and he's talking about the end of the day and the goats are bad. I don't know why, but they're bad and sheep are good in this story. And, and when he's talking about the sheep and all the good things he he did this is this is what he said he said when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him he'll sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he'll separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats he'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left and the king will say to those on the right that's those are the sheep come you who are blessed by my father Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, you came and visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord... (laughs) When did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty, give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, how many of you have read that or heard that passage of scripture before? Okay, a lot of you. Okay. Or, or you're telling the truth, aren't you? Okay, yeah, so most of you have read that passage of Scripture. And almost every time we read the passage of Scripture, people talk about how great it is that the Lord would acknowledge these people for their faithful service, etc. What I'd like to draw attention to is how hard is it, how big are any of these activities? How hard is it to visit someone? How big is that? It's not a big thing at all. It takes no skill, no education. It takes no uh, specific training, to go to a prison and, and visit someone, or as Jesus uses another small statement, anybody who gives a cup of cold water in my name will not lose that person's reward. And in this case, it says, I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And so they were doing the small activities, and who were they doing to? The small of the people. They were doing it to people who were imprisoned, who were uh, persona non grata in society, the people that had no clothes. That were sick, that had no access to justice. They weren't big people, they were small people. I'm talking about in a worldly standpoint, uh, from a worldly standpoint. They were small people, and what were the kind of acts that were done for them? They were small acts. They were small acts of kindness. Nothing uh, large or magnanimous or big or obtuse. to, so, so, in a sense, nondescript that the people themselves were trying to figure out, well, when did we do all the good things that you're talking about? Um, And Jesus imported himself into the circumstance of the people that he served. He said, when you did that to those folks, you were doing it to me. There was nothing big about this, but to Jesus Christ, it was big because it was a pattern, it was a life pattern. It was inconsequential to them, to the giver, but it was a great consequence to the Lord and the person who was being served by that. Are you with me? please say yes. You are a quiet group. Thank you. It takes a young one to be able to respond. Put all the adults to shame. There you go. There's a pattern, a consistent pattern, and you cannot build a pattern off of a big thing because big things only come around once in a, or twice in a lifetime. Big words, big eloquent speeches. I mean, don't we all wish that we could be a Martin Luther King Jr. and go out and change the world with a great speech. The fact of the matter is uh, he was a catalyst for a lot of things, but the people, if you put the cumulative total of people that transformed the world, it was, a, it was a, it filled with a bunch of people who did small things, but they did it in a very consistent way. I want to illustrate my point specifically, by: we have four children. Um, we have uh, our oldest son is a school teacher, he's almost 40 years old, so I'm feeling kind of old now, and he has four children. And, and then we have our number two, um, passed away of cancer about nine years ago, and uh, and left a wife and no children, but, uh, you know, we miss him greatly, and we'll get to join him someday in heaven. Uh, then we have a third son, and he lives in Colorado, and, and uh, he has a master's degree in education, he's been a teacher as well, and then our fourth, our daughter is is uh, married to an engineer and she's a stay-at-home mom with four very small kids and, and uh, doing a great job. All of our kids love the Lord. They, uh, they're wonderful believers. They've done some great things in their own lives and they've made some big impacts in their own uh, lives that in a sense put us to shame because they've done more than we probably will ever accomplish and we're grateful for our kids. And I'm sure there are a lot of people here who are very grateful for your kids. Uh, So they all gathered together a handful of years ago in our living room, and we were reminiscing about all of the things that we've had opportunity to do around the world. We've met kings. We've seen almost all, I think there's only one of the seven wonders of the world that we haven't seen. Uh, We've been in some of the grand palaces around the world. We've had uh, opportunity to To um, vacation in some of the most exotic places around the world. We've had lots of opportunities that many people in this world have not had. And um, we feel very blessed to be able to have had those. So we were reminiscing about all of the experiences that we had when they were younger and as they were growing up. And it was right around Christmas time, and uh, the kids were all kind of sitting, and their spouses sitting in a in a circle, and I just said, you know, of all the things that we did, what was the most impactful upon you? And uh, it was in the context of me mentioning all the what kind of things? Big things that we'd done. I said, what was the most impactful for you? And my oldest son, Luke, looked at me and said, Dad, it was none of the stuff we've been talking about. None of that impacted our lives. He said, what impacted our lives was every evening after dinner or after whatever the evening activities were, 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock, whenever we were getting ready to shut things down, uh, it was the 20 minutes to half hour that we would spend. where We'd read the Bible, we'd pray, and we would talk about things that mattered in our lives, and we would resolve all those issues together. It was the daily activity of devoting time and energy to one another and to the Lord. He said that other stuff, that didn't impact anything. It was just fun. Uh, my son uh, put me to shame in this very point. What was he saying? He was saying, Dad, it was the consistent pattern of faithfulness or a, a pattern of uh, blessing and, and value, uh, recalibrating our lives on a daily basis to make sure we were oriented toward the Lord. It was the small consistencies that led to uh, life-changing patterns in our lives. Uh, the people in, in Matthew's gospel see that, and, uh, and they see that as well. My, my children saw that as well. Well, thirdly, another reason why the, the bit, small things are so big to the Lord is that small faith acts are what really leads to displays of God's greatness. I mean, that's what leads to the greatness of the Lord. In the book of Judges, there's a story about a guy who was small, but he fits very well with the very thing we're talking about. His, uh, anyway, his name is Gideon. Gideon was referred to as being the least person in his family that happened to be the least family or the least important, significant family in his clan, which happened to be the least significant or important clan in the tribe that he was part of, which was the least of all of the tribes of the people of Israel. Are you with me? He's the least of the least of the least of the least. And God says, with the small ones, he says, perfect. This is going to be the person that I'll use. And we're going to get to why in a few moments. Uh, But I want to set up the story The story goes like this before we read the passage of Scripture. So Gideon is trying to figure out how he's going to defeat this vast army that's before him. The Midianites, people are gathered. uh, It says they number beyond the number of the sands on the sea. You know, I mean, it's euphemistically speaking. But it, it was an army that was too big for them to defeat, even if they mustered... Uh, every fighting person in Israel to be able to fight against them. And here he is, he's the least person with a small group of people that are going to take on a gigantic army. He feels ill-equipped to be able to do this. And so this is what he does. Uh, He goes out and um, inquires among all the tribes of Israel, said, if you're willing to fight against these people that are going to destroy us, um, I I want every person, we summon every person who's of fighting age, and ability to come and meet with us. And so 32,000 people arrived. It was still a small army compared to that which we, they were facing. You'll find that portion in chapter 6. We're going to be reading in chapter 7 here. but uh, So then Gideon says, before he gets into this, he says, okay, there's 32,000 people. The Lord tells him this. The Lord says, uh, that's too many people. Because why? Because the Lord needs a smaller army Uh, amount to be able to defeat the army so he says this, he said uh, I want you to send everyone away who's afraid well that pretty well narrows it down so there's 32, we have some mathematicians here right, so uh, we've got people that work in the tech industry and whatever Uh, maybe you can't do mathematics without an electronic device, but let's just try this uh, for instance Um, so there are 32,000 people that were mustered together, 22,000 makes it pretty easy for us, right, said uh, yeah I'm afraid so I'll go home, so they went home so how many are left Ten thousand. Okay. So he's probably thinking, "Well, there's no way we're going to win with this uh, number." But then the Lord says, "You still have too many." And what I want you to do is, I want you to take the people down to the water, and I want you to have them drink. So he takes the ten thousand people, takes them down to the water, and in Israel, there's a clean way to drink water, and there's a dirty way to drink water. There's a ceremonial way to drink water, and there's a, there's an, uh, a ceremonially wrong way. To, uh, to drink water, and this is the way it is. You would never, ever take your hand and uh, scoop water and put it in your mouth, because your hand, especially when you're out in the boonies where they were when they gathered, amassed these people together, unless you had ceremonially washed your hands, your hand may have touched something dirty or what they would classify as unclean. It didn't even have to be physically unclean, it was just unclean. It, was, uh, it could be certain kinds of animals, uh, anything that had touched something that was had touched an animal that was an unclean animal, uh, if your hand had touched anything that had been held by or controlled by somebody who was dead, uh, who had died, you know, like a sword or anything else, it made you unclean. Uh, there were a number of things. There were certain people with the activities that they'd been engaged in that make them unclean. If you touched a person with a skin disease, that makes you unclean. And so the only right way to drink water would, was uh, one of two ways. That would be, for them to take the water, whatever they had, which they weren't in the city, so they didn't have access to do this, and they would ceremonially wash a a vessel that they could then drink the water out of, and that would make that water ceremonially clean. The other option would be, since they couldn't trust their hands or any part of their body as being clean, they would get down on their knees at the riverbank where they were and they would uh, get down on their face and they would drink it because it hadn't touched anything that was unclean. So um, 300 people did it right. It takes a little bit more effort. You mess up your clothes. Uh, It's a dirtier way to do it for your hands and everything else. But 300 people got down and drank without putting the water to their hands. Um, 9,700 people did it the lazy way. Excuse me, I got it the other way around. 9,700 people did it the right way. They got down and drank the right way. 300 people were too lazy to get all the way down, and so they just leaned over, and they scooped it up and put it in their mouth. So you got the least number of people. So God basically says to all the people... Um, you know who did it wrong I want them to go home and I'm going to take the people who did it right the 300 people and I want, I'm going to take them and we're going to defeat the army and, and if you've ever read this story who wins the people of Israel win with 300 with an army of 300 and uh the Lord routs the enemy, and there's a great thing. Let's not lose the fact that the person who led them was the least of the least of the least of the least. And then he took and pared back the group to make it smaller and smaller and smaller to where he had the smallest group possible to win the uh, army, uh, to win the war. And this is what God said beginning in verse 2 of chapter 7. He said, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I can't deliver Midian into their hands. Or Israel would boast against me, saying, by my own strength. My own strength has saved me. Now announce this to the army. And this is the middle portion, when they still had all of these people. He says, anyone who trembles with fear. This is between the 32 and the the 10,000. He says, anyone who trembles with fear, turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left and 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I'm going to thin them out for you there. And if I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues, as a dog laps, from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank with cupped hands, Uh, lapping like dogs, all the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you uh, from the hands of the Midianites and let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but he kept the 300 who, who took over the provisions of the trumpets of the others. Now, what I wanted to do is I wanted to draw attention to the fact that the people who went through the ceremonial washing and drank drank the right way, making sure that they didn't uh, leave to chance the drinking of something unclean, allowed it for a small group of people to... But can we go back to verse 2 there? Uh, Verse 2, if if we go back to that, he says, The Lord said to the people, he says to Gideon, very point blank, uh, with 300 men... Oh, excuse me, to the very first uh, verse 2... Uh, if you you can find that there, Uh, he essentially says, I could not, one of the versions said, uh, you have too many men, Uh, I could not let you deliver Midian into uh, their hands. And he says, this is why, Uh, or Israel would boast saying, it was by our own strength, this is in the contemporary English version, which isn't on your screen, it's by our own strength that we were saved and God had nothing to do with it. Um, God cannot let us do big things by ourselves or else it looks like it's by our own strength, by our own activity, by our own willpower that we're uh, winning the, the army, we're beat, defeating the enemy, we're doing something significant and great. God can't allow that. He wants the glory. The Lord wants the glory. So what's, what's the point? What's the bottom line? The bottom line is we blow over the small opportunities. We blow over the small words that we say. We blow over sometimes or think inconsequential. How many times have you heard somebody who did something very impactful say, well, all I was doing was fill in the blank. I was just doing that thing that I was trained to do. It wasn't anything significant. You know, I I was just giving a cup of cold water. I was just saying a nice kindness to a person who had been injured. Uh, the issue is that my biggest contribution, this is the same with you, my biggest contribution in life is smaller than I realize with greater potential than I can imagine. That's true for you. That's true for me. The Lord wants to do some significant things through you. You know, we, had a, we have a leader in another country. I can't tell you the country, but uh, a leader in another country that, uh, that did a, was thrown in prison and um, and he was thrown in prison to get him out of the way because he was having such an impact upon that particular country. It's what we call a creative access country. That means we can't have above-ground churches there. We have to have underground churches. We have about 19 countries that we're in that we call creative access um, because uh, Christians are persecuted, many times killed. And so they. the government found out that this person was... Preaching the gospel and starting churches, and he'd started hundreds of churches, uh, him and, and the people that worked with him. And so they threw him in prison, where he was locked away and would have no potential in prison to be able to impact others for Jesus. You know what happened? You know what the Lord did? The Lord ended up um, using him to help people in that prison come to find Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Their lives were changed, uh, people were healed. Good things were happening in the lives of people. It was a marvelous experience that they had. And uh, the warden of the prison, as well as most of the prison guards, became Christians. And finally, the govern- governor found out of this particular region, found out that, his, that this guy had led all these people to faith in Jesus Christ. And so he said this. He said, I want you to get that guy out of my prison and don't ever let him or any one of his people back in our prison because they're destroying our culture. So now this guy is planting churches like nobody's business. They're planting, they've planted thousands of churches because they're not being touched uh, by government officials. What God is doing in that case is he took him in his most vulnerable and inconsequential and insignificant state and used him more greatly than that he could be used by himself. The words you say, as small as they are, the opportunities that you exercise, as small as they are, are likely going to be the biggest things that impact the rest of the world. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.